seated. Good morning, it is good to see you. Thank you, John, for your testimony. It is good John and I talked Thursday night. He said, how do I squeeze all these years into three minutes? Uh, but we're doing the three-minute testimony, and it's great to hear that, John. Very good job. Thank you so much. And to each one who has shared, it's been a great job uh, in sharing their testimony. Like I uh, like to challenge you is imagine on an evangelistic event that you're in an elevator, not a grain elevator, that's all we have here, but a real elevator that carries people, and you have exactly three minutes to share your faith with someone. I think uh, the Sears Tower in Chicago, it takes less than three minutes to get to the top of that. It's not called the Sears Tower anymore, but anyway, imagine yourself, you have three minutes to share your testimony. So good, thank you, John, for that. Good, good reminder of God's faithfulness in our lives. Well, we were looking at uh, a passage out of uh, the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're doing a short summer series uh, where we're trying to do just kind of an overview of the book of Proverbs. Remember, the book of Proverbs is the most practical book to day-to-day -day life in the Old Testament. And we are doing an abbreviated view of the book of Proverbs and using as our launch pad, basically, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. And we'll be looking at it in a moment. But you know, uh, other cultures and other nations have Proverbs, even though they are man's wisdom, not God's wisdom, as our book of Proverbs out of the Bible is. Uh, but other cultures have Proverbs also. One of them is an ancient Persian proverb, which I'm going to quote for you now. It sounds like a tongue twister. In fact, I think in uh, elocution classes, speech classes, they assign this as a memory tool uh, to help you speak well. And so I will stumble through it. Uh, but uh, this is a Persian proverb. You have to listen carefully as I recite this for you. It begins, He who knows not, and knows not that he knows not, is a fool. Shun him. He who knows not, and knows that he knows not, is a child. Teach him. He who knows, and knows not that he knows, is asleep. Wake him. He who knows and knows that he knows is wise. Follow him. Let me repeat that. I know it's the first time around. It's kind of confusing. confusing. He who knows not and knows not that he knows not is a fool. Shun him. He who knows not and knows that he knows not is a child. Teach him. He who knows and knows not that he knows is asleep. Wake him. And he who knows and knows that he knows is wise. Follow him. All four types of people there, the fool, the child, the sleeper, and the wise person are found in every area of life, whether it's the university campus, whether it is a business, whether it's among neighbor, neighborhoods, whether it's in churches. There are all these types of people, but you'll never know who they are really until you observe their life for a while. Because none of them will wake up, walk up to you and shake your hand and say, Hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm a fool. Uh, so there's no big sign about that, but uh, there are good chances that you will want to discover the deep down truth of life in the fact that he who knows, knows. <laughs> and it's wise and you want to follow him. And how are we going to know how to shun the fool or to teach the child or to awaken the sleeper or the wise person to follow? Discernment is the answer. 
Discernment is the key. And when you think of the book of Proverbs, if you were with us when we introduced the book of Proverbs, in chapters 1, verses 2 through 6, we have the purpose stated right there for the book of Proverbs. It's, uh, it's twofold, to impart moral discernment and discretion, and secondly, to develop mental clarity and perception. Let me repeat that. Moral discernment and mental clarity and perception. Those are the purposes of this 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. In verse 2 of chapter 1, it refers to wisdom and instruction. And remember, that is the theme of the whole book of Proverbs, is how to gain wisdom for day-to-day -day life. In fact, the subtitle for this series is Vertical Awareness for Horizontal Living. Very practical. And uh, wisdom means skill, and instruction means discipline. And no skill is developed or perfected without discipline. Any of you who have learned to play a musical instrument, we have some very gifted musicians in our fellowship, know that it just does, you just don't show up and start playing the piano. It takes discipline to learn how to play the piano or any other instrument. And when you have that skill, you have the freedom to create something beautiful. And Proverbs deals with the most fundamental skill in all of life, and that is practical righteousness before God in every area of our lives. Not just Sunday morning, but the, the, the Monday through Saturday part of our lives. This requires knowledge, experience, and willingness to put God first, as Proverbs tells us in chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Remember the, the stated God-centeredness, the stated, the, the, the theme of all of, of Proverbs is found in chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. The thesis is clear. Those who fear God, live by his principles, are assured of his approval and blessing. And the question is, is how do we know what God desires? How do we know what God wants? Again, in chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And then here's this promise in those verses. For by me your days will be multiplied, and your years of life will be added to you. Remember, Proverbs is a book of maxims, or general truths. They are not promises, but they are truths that are generally true. We see wise sayings in the book of Proverbs. And so we come to this passage again back in chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. But let me read for you the end of chapter 5. This sets the tone for what we find in chapter 6, beginning in verse 21. Excuse me. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the, great, in the greatness of his folly... He will go astray. And then Solomon begins chapter 6 by describing three types of immoral people. There's the one who places himself in surety under others. And then verse 6, there's the sluggard or the lazy person. And then in verse 12, there is the wicked man. And he, then he describes these. But beginning in verse 16, he says, There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. And he lists these seven things. We are spending seven weeks, spending each week on one of those items is listed as an abomination to God. In the Hebrew language here, in the form of the sentence of verse 16, it's not exhaustive. The way reason he said there are six things and then seven, that is an indicator that this is not an exhaustive list. There are many other things which are an abomination, but these are the ones 
which God has let Solomon to write down in the Proverbs. And so they're God's values in negative form, basically. And we have chosen to use this, I have chosen to use this as a launching pad, so we explore other parts of Proverbs in the sense of what the other parts of Proverbs say positively about each one of these things in a reverse kind of way. And so we see, when we see what God hates, then we can discover what the positive values are. We talk a lot in evangelicalism about God's love, and that's an important thing because God is love. And expressed at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that unconditional love is sacrifice for the world. We speak a lot about that, but we don't talk a lot about what God hates. Uh, we talk about the infinite character of God's love. Have you considered that God's hatred is infinite also? Because God is an infinite God. There is an article that I've uh, taken the liberty of reproducing on the back of the bulletin insert by R.A. Torrey uh, about the hatred of God. And I would encourage you to read that later. It is, uh, I think, a very powerful declaration of a theological aspect of who and what God's character is. We get a glimpse of that here in chapter 6. But he goes on to list these seven things. We covered the first one last week in verse 17, haughty eyes, with a prideful look, which is really a reflection of an inner spirit. And secondly, a lying tongue, which we will look at today, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. <clears throat> the Psalms wisely uses five parts of our body to describe these abominations to God. That is an easy mnemonic aid, a way to memorize what God was saying. Because remember, the ancient Hebrews in 900 BC did not have their own copies of God's word. They had great oral tradition, and they were good at memorizing the things that God wanted them to know. But it was helpful to think about it. He had eyes, tongue, hands, heart, feet, and then he talks about two antisocial actions, the false witness and the strife spread. And so we see that here. Today we're looking at a lying tongue. Uh, as I said last week, William McCain, who is a commentator on this passage of Scripture, says that, all of these types of behavior have in common that they are disruptive in their tendency, that they are characterized by self-assertiveness, they are characterized by malice, they are characterized by violence, and that they break the bond of confidence and loyalty between people. Each one affects the ruin of his victims, but they will boomerang and ruin the troublemaker, end quote. And so we come to this one today about a lying tongue. And as uh, Russ read for us out of that passage out of the book of James, it tells us the power of the tongue. In a very descriptive way, James relates to us the problem we have with this little thing called the tongue, the little instrument. Psalm 116.11 declares that all men are liars. We don't like to hear that kind of stuff, do we? All men are liars. And this is echoed in the conclusion of the indictment of the human race in the book of Romans, where Paul declares, indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, in Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Dishonesty is a severe problem with everyone. We violate the truth in our speech, in our actions, and in our relationships. We lie to each other, to God, and to ourselves. This problem has found itself from the beginning of time in all of human history. In fact, the first recorded lie is uttered by the serpent in Eden. Remember the Garden of Eden? 
When the devil and Satan said to Eve, you will surely not die, he was lying. It was the nature of Satan to lie. Jesus describes Satan in this way from John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. The conflict between God and Satan is focused on the issue of truth, on the issue of truth. God is the fountainhead of all truth. Satan is the father of all lies. And so the central issue between Christ and the Antichrist is the issue of truth. We need to be very clear about this. The prefix, when you think of Antichrist, describes that he can either be against or in place of. The Antichrist fights against Christ. His chief ploy is to seek to replace Christ. He asserts himself as a substitute for Christ. He is a counterfeit, a fraud who works against God's plan, and he wants to su supplant the genuine article of who and what Jesus Christ is. The Antichrist is a false Christ. In a word, Scripture tells us that he is a liar. He pretends to be something that he is not. And so we go back to our passage here. God hates a lying tongue. It's an abomination to God himself. And there are five characteristics of lying, and I want to very briefly go through those very quickly uh, so that we hopefully will be explaining very clearly. The first one is we lie to others. The second one is we lie about others. The third one is we lie for good purposes. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Fourthly, we lie to ourselves. And then finally, we lie to God. First of all, we lie to others. When we lie, we are usually doing it to other people. And there's various motives behind why we would not tell the truth. And the first one is the fact that we have the sin of pride, that prideful look, the pride of the heart. We don't want to admit we're wrong. And there's the pride of there's the sin of laziness and unjust gain. We lie to others because we fear that we will injure our esteem if we tell the truth. Uh, we will be shamed if we tell the truth. When our bride, pride cannot bear the truth, uh, we are known to, to cover our tracks, basically, aren't we? We escape punishment. We lie to cover up our guilt. So the sin of pride plays into the motive. Also, laziness. Uh, for those who cheat on exams, they're too lazy to prepare correctly, and so they cheat on an exam. And an unjust gain. We're assaulted every day with promises that this next product will fulfill all the desires of our life, and yet... There's much lying that goes on in the advertising world. Lying to others is one of the categories of lying. Lying about others, and this is what is technically called slander. Slander is one thing to lie to others, but it's another thing to lie about others. This involves slander. This tells lies about people that causes them grave injury. And perhaps you've been the victim of someone who has slandered you unjustly that they have lied about you. They steal your good name, and it's more harmful to the person than if you were to steal their very property, their very material being. You know, Jesus was the victim of slander his whole ministry, his entire public ministry. Even in the agony, agony of death, he was subject to verbal abuse. Remember the thief, two thieves on the cross, one on the right, one on the left? 
and he was the subject of debate between the two thieves as they laid their, as they hung their signs. Uh, the one, uh, the criminals hanged their blaspheme Jesus and said, "If you are the Christ, save yourself and us." From Luke twenty-three thirty-nine. Indeed, Jesus is the Christ. There was no if about that, and this thief, the accusation. Uh, against him, which was made in mockery, uh, was a slander. The mocking of the first thief was an attempt to slander Jesus. But the second thief, remember him, he stood in to uh, to refer, he refused that position. The other thief, in Luke 23, said, answered, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you under the, are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we, we receive due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Lying about others is an example there. Thirdly, lying for a good purpose, or what is called the higher ethical good. Uh, we think of some examples in Scripture. I should ask you if you can think of some. I think of Exodus chapter 1. Remember the Hebrew midwives. The Hebrew midwives, Pharaoh told them, that uh, you kill all the male babies that are born, and they lied to him when he said, why are these babies surviving? They said something to the effect of, well, these Hebrew women, they really give birth quick. We can't get to it uh, fast enough. They were lying, actually. And uh, you think of another example. You think of Rahab the harlot in Jericho. Uh, and remember, she's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, which we often call the heroes of the faith. In fact, she is in the, the genealogical line of our Messiah, Rahab the harlot. That's another story, that's for sure. And it says in Hebrews 11, by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. In Joshua chapter 2, remember, Joshua sent spies into Jericho to spy out the city, and there were two spies who she hid. And this woman took the two men and hid them, and then she told those seeking them, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, that you may overtake them. This is a record of a bold-faced lie, we would say. And yet, she was blessed because of it. The issue is God blessed her. In, but the question is, and among uh, theologians and philosophers, they argue, was, was she blessed in spite of her lie? Or was she blessed because she did lie? Uh, position assumes that lying is always wrong. And uh, this, is, this is a position that we typically will take. And yet on the other hand, we have a principle that sometimes we must tell the truth only when the truth is due. Now we need to be careful here with this. This position assumes that the truth is not always due. That is not everyone. That is, that is because not everyone is entitled to uh, this is called the higher ethical good in philosophy. But we need to be careful with this one. Uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, he illustrates it this way. He says he lived in Holland, and he lived in a home of a woman who had endured five years of the Nazi occupation during World War II. And it was the policy of the Germans at that time to arrest the young Dutchmen and ship them off to camps or work projects for the Nazi war machine. Uh, this woman uh, hollowed out a place under the floorboards of her house and hid her son there. In this small cubicle, she gave him food and a hiding place in case the Nazis showed up. And one day the Nazis did show up. They were searching the village for young men. And they burst into her home. 
with submachine guns. They rushed the bedroom, searched the closets for everything. They looked for the young man's clothing. They felt the beds to see if they were warm. Finally, they returned to the living room and stood over the very spot uh, where the son was hiding underneath the floorboard. A, a soldier said to the woman, are you hiding the boys here? What was her moral responsibility at that point, the higher ethical good? She could have said, yes, there's one under the floor, but she didn't. She had the moral right to lie in that instance, just like Rahab did. The Nazis had no right to the truth. She replied, no, there are no boys here. Thereupon, the soldiers began to shoot up the floor, all while watching the mother's reaction for any hint of panic. She displayed no outward emotion while inside her was stark terror. Finally, the soldiers left, panic-stricken. The mother rushed to the hiding place. Her son emerged unscathed. Her deception had saved him. We are not all required to tell the robbers of our homes where we've hidden the valuables. Soldiers are not required to tell the enemy where their comrades are positioned. Truth is to be told to those who are doing it. We are not pleasing God when we tell the truth to people who do not deserve the truth. And there's an example, that's Rahab, that's the Hebrew midwives, biblical examples of that. Lies for a good purpose. Number four is lying to ourselves. Perhaps one of the most deceptive things, the most duplicitous things, is that we lie to ourselves. Uh, sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to face who and what we are. This is incredibly difficult. Uh, we want to have a good opinion of ourselves. We want to have others have a good opinion of ourselves. And so to face the darker sides of our personalities is a, a difficult thing, and so we tend to lie to ourselves. You know, in Scripture, uh, that self-revelation, we see it from time to time. Uh, Isaiah ended up cursing himself when he was revealed and given a glimpse of God's holiness. We look at Job and Habakkuk. They almost perished when God gave them an unveiled view of who and what they were. We lie to ourselves, we view our own actions in the best possible light. Uh, where we are quick to judge others, we are equally quick to excuse ourselves. We are masters of the art of rationalization, and that's why God hates a lying tongue. The prime example, of course, is King David. As he is uh, above middle age, he, he sees Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop, and he <laughs> takes her for his own, and he sends her husband Uriah into battle and commands his forces to withdraw, so he is killed. Basically, David murders Uriah through the, the forces of his, his army, and uh, David takes Bathsheba for his own, but then he's, he's confronted by the prophet Nathan, and Nathan approaches the king, and he tells him this parable. And remember the parable out of 2 Samuel chapter 12? He tells him about this man who came, a rich man, and steals this one person's only sheep and takes it, when he finishes the parable, uh, David is furious as king. He says he was so furious, he declares his anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the land because he did this thing because he had no pity. Second Samuel 12. And Nathan, at risk of his own life, we don't really understand that, but at risk of his own life before the king, he put the sword deeply into David's soul and he cried out to the king, you are the man. There is self-revelation. And it, it took some nine to 11 months after the act before David was faced with this issue of what he was. David was shattered because of his crime. He penned the immortal lines of Psalm 51 in response 
to his sin. David was not alone. In his tendency toward self-defeat, David is every person. We all have that residing in our soul. And fifthly, lying to God. We lie to others, we lie to ourselves, we lie about others, but our sin is compounded infinitely when we lie to God. Lying to God is as foolish as it is irrelevant. When you think of the Almighty God who knows everything, sees everything, it is foolish to think that we could even deceive God himself. Every secret of our heart is known to him, it's all exposed. There is no mountain big enough to cover his penetrating gaze. Nothing we can hide from him. We lie to him in multiple of ways. We try to conceal our shame by hiding it from him. We violate his truth. We break his covenants. We swear an oath to God and break it to lie to him. The clearest example is found in Ananias and Sapphira. You may remember their account in Acts chapter 5 of the early church. Uh, Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold a plot of land, uh, but they withheld some of the proceeds and said they'd given it all to the church. And of course, automatically, Ananias dies, drops dead, stricken by the Holy Spirit. And then Sapphira dies because they lied, not just to men, but to God himself. Uh, Acts tells us the result was as a result of this great penalty, the great fear came upon the church. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was not that they refused to sell all of their possessions. That was not the requirement for the early church. Their sin was lying. They made a pledge to God that they did not keep. Uh, Solomon tells us here in the book of Proverbs that the opposite of truth is not just error, but it is evil. Lying lips reflect more than misinformation or disinformation. Lying lips express the denial of darkness that marks the path that leads away from God. Elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verse 7, wickedness is an abomination to my lips, Solomon writes. Chapter 10, verse 18, whoever hides hatred has lying lips. Chapter 11, verse 1, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. Chapter 11, verse 3, the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Chapter 12, verse 19, the truthful lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Chapter 12, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination of the Lord, to the Lord. Chapter 19, verse 1, uh, the one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Chapter 23, 23, uh, buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. So what are the positive values that we see? What's the, the opposite of, of lying tongue? It's the one that is truthful. It's one that is truthful. Proverbs 3, 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Proverbs 8, 7. For my mouth will utter truth. There's a decision of the will that even though we may be ashamed when the truth is exposed, we still tell the truth. Uh, chapter 10, verse 13, on the lips of the discerning wisdom is found. Chapter 12, verse 17, he who speaks truth tells what is right. Chapter 14, verse 22, but kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. 14:25, a truthful witness saves lives. Proverbs 16, 6, by loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned. Chapter 20, verse 28, loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. By the way, we just got through an election year, and it's not long, we'll face the midterm, and there's another presidential election. 
And I wish every one of those candidates would have read that one uh, verse. Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne but a righteousness. Proverbs 22, 21, to make you know the certainty of the words of truth. 23, 23, buy truth and do not sell it. Proverbs 29, 14, if the king judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. God calls us to be truth tellers. We of all people. And later on in this series, when we get down to <clears throat> verse 19, a false witness who utters lies, we'll spend some more time on the whole issue of social media. But let me just be, be clear here. Christians and social media need to be very, very careful what you post and what you repost. Let me just say that. I, I pay enough attention to social media to know that sometimes evangelicals are the worst offenders of not being truthful. Just because we don't like somebody on the national level doesn't give us the right to lie about their character or their person. But we'll do more of that when we get to verse, uh, verse uh, 18 or verse 19, false witness who utters lies. So God values the truth. It should become very clear to us. In fact, this was just a sampling of verses. I have pages from my Bible software of, uh, in Proverbs about the tongue, about the lips, about words, about speaking, about things we say, about the truth, about lying. Proverbs is just rife with it. In fact, an exercise, if you struggle with being truthful at all times, uh, go through the book of Proverbs and underline every reference to the mouth, to speaking, to the tongue, to the lips, all of those things, and you will have a gigantic compendium, if you will, of instruction about how to speak and when to speak. By the way, many evangelicals, and some I've thrown across, Christians, think that if they just keep their mouth shut, they're not lying. And that is not true when you go through the book of Proverbs. I don't know how many times I've done exit interviews with people who've left this fellowship, and they don't tell me what really is going on. And they are lying, because there's something that causes them to they need to be truthful about it. That's just my rant for today. Okay? All right. Uh, in closing, if you are a college basketball fan, you know Coach K. Coach K is Mike. Nobody knows how to pronounce his last name. That's why they call him Coach K. It's Shashevsky, Mike Shashevsky, but then in his West Point yearbook in 1969, it is pronounced. Chris Alonsky. Okay, so they call him Coach K, and that's what I'll call him. But uh, Mike Coach K, he's the men's basketball coach at Duke University since 1980. He is basketball all-time winningest coach in, in college. And uh, he's not just a coach, he's a great genius at creating teamwork. And here's one of his keys to success, and I'm quoting Coach K. In our program, the truth is the basis of all that we do. There is nothing more important than the truth because there is nothing more powerful than the truth. Consequently, on our team, we always tell one another the truth. We must be honest with one another. There is no other way. You imagine, here's a college basketball program committed to the truth. Boy, we of all people, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should have such a high commitment that it surpasses Duke University's basketball team. I admire him and commend him, but yet we as believers are the ones who are on the forefront of being truth tellers in this world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for